0: Well, hello, and thank you for tuning in to Daniel Young's New Testament podcasts. Sorry for the brief delay. It has been absolutely a crazy season of ordination stuff and work and all of that good and, and and good you know good stuff that the Lord brings forth. Happy to be here. Happy to dive into the Word today. We're going to go over John chapter four. We're just going to do one today, but it's it's a lot. It's a fantastic chapter, one of my favorites, and. We're going to see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman and things are going to get real spiritual and really, really awesome. Uh, Forgive me if I sound congested or if I cough a lot and getting over a sickness. I was uh, (coughs) doing a youth camp and I guess it's just inevitable that you're going to get sick. Me and my girlfriend both got sick. She got me sick first, just saying. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. It probably isn't, you know. Girlfriend's always right, so I maybe mean, i I guess I got her sick, so either way, if I cough a lot, you know it's because I got contaminated at this youth camp, and you know it's all good. I guess that's part of the serving process. I think it's almost inevitable that you get sick after serving at one of these things so with all with all that uh stuff going on, let's dive into John chapter four, let me pull this up real quick already. Here we go, John chapter 4. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given him, all right, Jacob had given to his sons Joseph to his son Joseph. Sorry, <laughs> Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. For those of you who play uh, Overwatch, you know it's high noon. Like, all right, never mind. It's the most nerdy thing i ever said. Continuing on to verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. Amen for food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living (coughs) water. So we're going to stop there for a second as we unwrap what has been displayed to us in these first ten verses of chapter 4, John chapter 4. What I want to point out is, this idea of the samaritans and the jews we must uh we have to first understand what the whole big issue is <coughs> between these two people and um why they dislike each other and why there's conflict in and, and why they just kind of rub each other the wrong way so the samaritans were people who were not accepted into into jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity due to the lack of ability to prove their purity of lineage. That's the key there is the purity of lineage. The Jews looked almost in a downward position towards the Samaritan people because they were viewed as half-breeds. The Babylonian captivity, obviously the Jews and, you know, God's chosen people had been taken into captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, I'm assuming from the scriptures that, you know, the jews didn't just stay mating with one another didn't just stay in relationship with one another but there were some who branched out and um you know had relationship and probably got married or just you know had had sex i guess with people of of babylonian um of babylonian uh what's the word man oh my goodness gracious of babylonian descent there we go babylonian descent which, you know, would therefore mix up the purity of lineage, and which, um, so the Jews who would just stay with the other Jews, and I guess really kept the lineage quote-unquote pure of their, um, of their family, looked down upon those who went off (coughs) and, um, went and essentially cross in a very, you know, kind of vulgar way to put that, but that's, that's the case, and and that's why that's the main reason why the Jews and the Samaritans get didn't get along so due to this, due to the Samaritan Samaritans being looked down upon and being considered uh a half breed, they were uh the Jews, the pure lineage Jews essentially looked at the Samaritans and said well you guys you guys aren't allowed to serve in the temple, you guys aren't allowed to make sacrifices or um, any of that stuff you can't you know like the incense or any of that good you know awesome stuff it's like essentially serving in your modern day church it's essentially if we as as a uh, christians looked at you know a certain type of person or a group of people and said no because you look this way you're not allowed to serve here which is a very sad thing and you know what it, 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 it's happened before and it's just one of the saddest things that we see in in modern christendom but you know, the Lord is gracious and he's gracious toward his people. And that's just a beautiful thing that even while we fall short in, in completely every category, if you just look at the at Christianity throughout the years, starting from the early church all the way through, you'll see many, many areas in which the church has fallen short. But you will even see like the greater aspects of where grace, the the overpouring of the grace of, of God pours out and just engulfs all of our wrongdoing. And that's just on a daily basis with all of our walks too, which is just a remarkable thing to see. So yes, the Jews would not allow these (coughs) quote-unquote half-breeds to serve in the temple or any of that stuff. So of course the Samaritans go, well, if you're not going to allow us to serve in the temple then we're going to go to a different location and and do our own sacrifices and kind of just do our own thing. Well, of course, doing this further increased the gap between the Jew and the Samaritan, which was just completely devastating and almost looked like it created a huge canyon in which there would be no uh, coming together anytime soon. But, you know, I point all of this out to you just to show you that... Even in the midst of these huge separations from which it seems that, you know, two cultures, two 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 types of people that Jesus is in the midst of it, bringing them together, bringing them not only <clears throat> to one another, but first and foremost to himself. It's just interesting how a Jew would go completely out of his way to avoid walking through Samaria at all costs. But here you have Jesus walking straight through the middle if that doesn't preach a sermon by itself then i don't know what does can i get a witness all righty back down to the scripture so let's see here I stopped on verse 10 verse 11 sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. I actually want to stop there because we're about to see something pretty pretty interesting. But we need to point out something in a, starting in verse 10. Is this woman, the Samaritan woman, meets Jesus. Jesus says he's here at high noon. Middle of the day. It's got to be blazing hot, obviously. Jesus is parched. He's fully human. He's fully God. We just need a little bit of water, a little bit of thirst. Ain't nothing wrong with a little bit. With a little bit of rest and a little bit of just kicking back and taking a moment, amen, so um what's interesting is this woman's attitude, who Jesus comes I mean think about how weird this is. You have this woman who, in the middle of the hot part of the day, goes to the well at the same time as Jesus these are the only two out here that we can assume that these are the only two people. Out here, and they're just about to have this conversation, and it seems that the way that she talks to Jesus is almost to me, kind of in a flirtatious way. And there's going to be further evidence to kind of push that on that I'll show you as we get later into the chapter. but she she almost has this attitude. she's almost the word I'd like to use is saucy. She's almost has a little bit of zest to the words that she's saying. And she starts off saying, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's hitting him with the truth, man. I mean, she thinks that she's just talking to a normal guy. And, you know, at that point it sucks to suck to be her. I mean, Jesus is about to blow her mind as we're going to see here. But she's coming off and she's not holding back. She sees a Jew and she's like, hey, like, nope, it doesn't go this way. I don't know who you think you are, finger snapping and all of that good stuff. And then Jesus, the first one, the first time that he just <clears throat> comes out and it's almost like it's just a good old slap to the face, <clears throat> says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And this is where I think the woman... I think that she's not, I don't want to say she's being rude, <clears throat> but when Jesus is talking about this living water, right, he's not talking about when you go and you fill up a glass of water <coughs> from your fridge or you grab a bottle and the and water is going to start speaking to you and it's going to grow arms and legs and, and walk. He's talking about a spiritual thirst that every person on this planet has. A desire for more, outside of what it is that we can achieve here. C.S. Lewis said it best. I'm pretty sure the way that it goes. Hopefully, I don't butcher this. Is that he said <coughs> that a baby cries for hunger, and there's <coughs> <coughs> wow, it's a good one. And there is um, there's food to achieve that that hunger. And, you know, the baby's desire is fulfilled by the food that it desires. And what's interesting is that for some innate reason, we have this desire that reaches far beyond the things that we can achieve on this earth. For example, you know, people often say money doesn't bring happiness. And I agree. I agree. Money... You can buy everything, but at the end of the day, what's all of those things going to do for you if, number one, you're not glorifying God with what you've been given, and, number two, you find your identity in those things? Moths destroy clothes. I love clothes, but if I <coughs> found my identity in clothes I, uh, and, and moths came and ate them, what would I be? I'd be absolutely nothing. All Everything that I would depend upon and that I found my absolute identity and would be thrashed, and it would be absolutely awful. So, Jesus is telling us, uh, well, to finish the quote essentially, C.S. Lewis says that we have a desire here for something that is far greater beyond this world, and there's really only one explanation to it that makes sense. If a baby desires food, and it has, and the mom gives <coughs> their child food. Or their dad gives their child food which will satisfy the child's longing for hunger, then we have to look at our spiritual hunger in the same exact way. For God's a good father. The only really true answer there can be is that we have a desire for something completely outside of this world. It means we're not of this world either, when you think about it. And that's remarkable. We have a desire. <coughs> a longing in our hearts for something more than this world has to offer It's is kind of like a beautiful letdown thank you switchfoot you know their song beautiful letdown says it perfectly that we have a desire outside of this world and there's only one answer that really truly will satisfy it it just means that this world that we're living in is not our ultimate destination which is just a further testimony of the glory of God and the grace of God that, you know, when we experience something fantastic here and make <coughs> no mistake, God has remarkable things for us here. He's got family for us here. He's got loved ones for us here. He has relationship for us here. If you've ever owned a dog, I own a puppy, not a puppy. She's about eh, she's about two and a half years old now. Her name's Joy. She's an American Bulldog, and she's remarkable, and she brings me joy, literally. And, you know, family life and relationships and my wonderful girlfriend and my family, my mom, my dad, my sister. My sister's okay sometimes. I'm just kidding. She's great. (coughs) She ditched the family and moved to California. I'm just kidding. Um, Love you, Rachel. And... What I, he has these awesome things for us on this, on this earth, but what's crazy is those things don't even compare (coughs) to the glory that's going to be revealed when we're next to him, when we're in his presence all the time, when we're with one another, when we're feasting in heaven, man, you think food's good down here? It's about to get real up there. That's all I got to say. So we have this spiritual thirst. That is not fulfilled here, and this lady, this woman, is thinking about it in a uh, in terms of a, um, <coughs> in terms of a, a physical living water, which is kind of funny when you think about it. Sir, the woman said, "You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who can- are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself?" as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who... (coughs) Gosh dang, man. (laughs) Wow. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Come on, Samaritan woman. It's not a physical water. Get your head, you know, looking upward. Stop looking side to side. Verse 16, he told her, Go call your husband and come back. This is where it gets real, y'all. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, <clears throat> You are right when you said you have no husband. The fact is, you have had... You've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claimed that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Going back to verse 17, when I was talking about this woman almost kind of having a flirtatious attitude and, uh, and being saucy, this is the point I wanted to bring up. Is that Jesus says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had (coughs) five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is just quite true. So I think it's safe to say, this woman, she's been around. Five husbands. She's currently shocked up with a guy. Let's just say she's not living in the way, relationally, that God had intended her to live. This isn't the intention. Five husbands shacked up with a guy currently and still comes to the well probably uh, around high noon, probably because due to these things, she might have been looked down upon. <coughs> Five husbands shacked up with a guy. Society's probably not looking at her too well, and these in these uh, ancient times she's probably going to the well because that's the only time she can go without getting dirty looks or or without being, you know, frowned upon or judged or any of those things and yet she runs into the most perfect person, the most perfect completely God completely man being that she needed to run into to know that grace is more than than the life that she lived. Verse 21 <clears throat> "'Woman,' she, uh, Jesus replied, "'Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, <coughs> "'neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. "'You Samaritans worship what you do not know. "'We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. "'Yet a time is coming and has now come "'when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. "'For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. "'God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and truth.'" Sorry, clearing my throat, man. It's just really, really, um, really crushing me right now. All right. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, (coughs) I am he so after this climactic huge awesome conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman what I really I forgot to mention this earlier but when Jesus when he says when he goes on the no actually you've been married uh you've been married five times and you're currently shacked up with the guy it's really interesting if you look back in the scripture starting at um let's see here Starting on verse 17 through 18, in verse 19, the woman's attitude completely changes. Because she was almost putting up this front with Jesus. She was trying to make it look like she had it all together. She was trying to be saucy. She was trying to be bold with her words. But Jesus goes, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband, What you have said (coughs) is quite true. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you just claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I mean, she starts off with Sir. She knows now. She can't hide from him. She can't hide from who Jesus is. He knows it all. He already knows it all. There's no reason for her to deny the allegation not even an allegation to deny the statement that she has <clears throat> been living she's living with a guy and was married five times he tore the mask off that she was trying to to display of who she was and it makes her vulnerable but oftentimes we have to be vulnerable with Christ in order so that he can really change us um completely man that's so cool <clears throat> so right after this whole Awesome conversation. (coughs) The disciples conveniently walked back in from getting the fast food. Stopped at Burger King. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, "Rabbi, eat something." But he said to them, "I have food to eat that you know nothing about." That is like the most Jesus statement, like really man, you couldn't you couldn't just be <clears throat> a little more um a little more straightforward, but you know, the Lord really does have a sense of humor, and it's just really funny to see how the disciples react. <clears throat> then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Like, really, guys? Once again, they're thinking about the physical. Let's go. Verse 34. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. (coughs) Verse 37, thus saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 38 is pretty interesting. I've heard instances, I haven't been alive for too long, turning 19 in a, about two weeks, so that's cool. But I've heard instances of, and you could see it biblically, of the seed being planted. By one generation and the harvest coming in the next. A great example of this is, is the Israelites wandering through <clears throat> the desert for 40 years with Moses. Moses worked his tail off guiding these people who complained and were annoying. And just really, I don't know how he did it, by the grace of God. And all for the sake of bringing them towards the promised land, out of slavery, towards the promised land that God had promised them, I think, about 500 years before, almost 500 years before. And Moses didn't see the final product. Moses didn't see the final, what's it going to say, like, if I plant a flower. He didn't see the full bloom of the flower yet. He took him. If you don't know, Moses takes him. He wasn't allowed to go into the Promised Land because he done messed up with the Lord, <coughs> and Lord told him, Moses, you're not, you're not gonna see the Promised Land. And um, what's just, you know, I'm from what I recall. I hope this is spot on. If not, that sucks for me. That the whole generation. <coughs> Uh, which generation was it? that slips in my mind was not going to see the promised land, and that 's why they wandered for forty years until the generation of uh of that of that time died off, so then the new generation would go and inherit the land that was promised to them about 500 years before. So the book of Deuteronomy is a is a large letter written to the Israelites right before the promised land is in their eyesight. It's right across the Jordan River. And Moses at the very end just kind of goes up to a mountaintop and he overlooks the promised land and then he passes away. And then Joshua steps in as in the leadership and he's the one. They cross the Jordan River and all of that stuff. And they go into the promised land and that's you know that's where they inherit their uh, their land that god had promised them before and they got there's some other tribes of people and and you know stuff goes down and but my whole point being is that moses didn't see the final the final product of what he was planting for but joshua the next generation was the one who reaped the harvest of what was planted Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. I said weird. Many of the Samaritan women from that town believed in him (coughs) because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. It's just so cool. Pretty self-explanatory. Jesus heals the official son. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal officer whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus (coughs) had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Cana... (coughs) Man... Cana is about 20 miles from Capernaum. It's a really, uh, it's a small little village. And the man comes to Jesus and is in desperate need of him, for him to heal his son, whom the scripture says is close to death. And Jesus just does something so cool right here. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met with him, the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. That was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now there's no formula in which Jesus heals or doesn't heal a person. If you want to ask an answer- uh, if you want an answer to why some people are healed and some people aren't, I will never be able to give you a satisfying answer to that. The only answer that you will really have to wrestle with is the fact that healing is not done only for the person's sake but it's also done to glorify God <coughs> and whatever God does to glorify himself. Who are you to say whether it's glorifying or not? God's main interest is first and foremost to glorify himself, which sounds absolutely selfish. If you think of it in human terms, if I just lived to bring glory to myself on a daily basis, I would be frowned upon. I would be like, wow, this guy's really selfish. But the fact is, is that when God brings glory to himself, it causes us to see his glory. And when we see his glory, it causes us to have a change of heart and to want to glorify him with our actions. To want to change and to live a different life, live a life of repentance and and following him on the narrow path that is following Jesus. And the reality is that glorifying God, for a human to glorify God, that is the ultimate satisfaction that this life will have to offer. So Jesus, he just continuously shows us why he can't be put in a box of how he can. It can't work. Sometimes he touches (coughs) the lepers. Sometimes he sends them to walk and they'll be healed. Sometimes he touches the lame. Sometimes he just rubs mud on their eyes. But right here he says, just go back. Your son's going to live. He'll be fine. Just a further testimony to how Jesus operates and how he just can't be placed in a box and what a remarkable thing that is. So, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Hope you enjoyed John chapter four. To be continued on to five and hopefully chapter six. Hopefully we'll do two in one next time around. But stay tuned, more coming to you. Have a great day.